0: Last time we were together, last Sunday, Memorial Day was awaiting us. And so my Memorial Day, we went to a parade in my town of Emsworth, and then we loaded up the car. We headed down to West Virginia to a spot called Cooper's Rock. Has anyone ever been to Cooper's Rock? All right, good. So the rest of you have a day trip in store. It's like an hour and a half drive. I figured I'm teaching a, a series called Mountaintop Moments. I should get myself to a mountaintop. And so that's what I did. I got the family up there to Cooper's Rock, this beautiful view. And when you stand at the top of this beautiful view, you're just humbled as you see the vastness of creation. Uh, you're inspired to worship the Creator for what uh, just this amazing creation that you're standing in the midst of. You're just filled with awe and majesty and glory as you stand on a mountain top. And so as we work our way through mountaintop moments, this series of over Old Testament overview, we have mountaintop moments in our lives. And, and there's a picture of me on that mountain. I'm just so pleasantly surprised, thank you. I, we couldn't make this work for a service. Uh, so that's us at Cooper's Rock on Memorial Day. Mountaintop moments in the scriptures though, today we're going to be at Mount Zion. And I think we might have a picture of Mount Zion No, okay, that was, you just, you built me up to break me down, baby, build me up. Okay. Uh, You just, you know, light up if you see something on the screens and then I'll know. Mount Zion is in Israel. We have a picture that's not showing up of what that looks like today. And you probably have seen pictures of that as we live in society. Currently the dome of the rock sits atop Mount Zion. But that's the mountaintop moment that we're going to look at. There are so many moments in scriptures on Mount Zion, it's hard to pick just one. And so I've picked for us Psalm 48. Psalm 48 is this beautiful song that was written about Mount Zion, this mountain of God. It is where the temple in Jerusalem sat, atop Jerusalem... Jerusalem sits atop Mount Zion, and within Jerusalem is the temple. And within the temple, if you recall, was the most holy place where God himself dwelt. And that's why Mount Zion is such an amazing place. It's why it inspires worship. It's why there are psalms about it, and why it's going to show up throughout the rest of Scripture. is because that's where God dwells. And so Mount Zion is a name that we should be familiar with as far as mountains in the Bible. Now, this temple isn't it like a temple that you might even see in Pittsburgh? You can go today to pit in Pittsburgh and go to somewhere that's called a temple. Oh, okay. There it is. Thank you. All right. Um, smaller than I wanted it to be. We're not, supposed to com- <laughs> we're not supposed to complain. So I confess that sin to you at this time. Um, all right. Mountains, temple. Uh, right. Not a temple like a normal temple. When uh, King David... He moves the capital of Jerusalem, the capital of Israel to Jerusalem around 1000 BC. And David really wants to build the temple, but God doesn't let him. He says Solomon will build the temple. And so Solomon builds the temple. It's not like any other temple that ever existed because when Solomon built the temple and then he prayed over it and they opened the doors, it says fire fell from heaven and consumed the sacrifice. Then God abides within that most holy place. So as we talk about Mount Zion today, the only reason the Mount Zion is an important mountain to us is because it's where God dwells, or where God dwelt, we might need to say. But God dwells in Mount Zion is the central point of the morning. It's also the central point of these first three verses. So we'll read Psalm 48 together, verses 1 to 3. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. So, these first three verses, again, the point that we want to see here is that God dwells in Mount Zion. That's why Mount Zion is important to us. Now, if you were paying attention a number of weeks ago when we kicked off the series, we were looking at Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah and Mount Zion, you might as well think of as the same mountain. Now, if you're really detailed about it, there is a slight valley that separates what we would call Mount Moriah from Mount Zion. But if you were standing in Israel today, it would just look like one massive mountain top area. Um, it's kind of like if you live or if you live in the North Hills, if you live in Ross or Westview, I don't care, it's all the same. But if you live in Westview, you know that it's very important that you live in Westview and not Ross. And so the the delineation is slight, and yet there is such a delineation between Mount Moriah and Mount Zion. But as you move through Scripture, we don't hear about Mount Moriah anymore. We hear about Mount Zion. That's because it just took on this different name once the temple was developed and built atop this mountain, this holy mountain. It's beautiful in elevation. It's the joy of all the earth. As the pilgrims would return to Jerusalem, year after year, approaching Jerusalem, they would look up, they would see the temple, this massive construction on the top of Mount Zion, they would be filled with joy as they see Mount Zion. Now, the psalmist tells us that it is in the far north. Now, that's strange, because nobody really refers to Jerusalem, the holy city, God's holy mountain, as lying in the far north. And so what we have to do, again, with the book of Psalms, it's a, book, it's a song book of our faith. It was written thousands of years ago in ancient Hebrew. And so when we translate ancient Hebrew into modern-day English, we have sometimes some difficult choices to make. So if you just read the Hebrew, here's how a like, really like, literal translation would be. It would read, Mount Zion, side, North. And you, as you're translating that ancient Hebrew into English, you'd have to make some decisions. How am I going to make this sound poetic? How am I going to translate this for an English-speaking audience? Mountain, or Zion, side, north. And so the English Standard Version translators choose to translate it as we've just said. Mount Zion in the far north. Because the word side can also mean extreme part. So far is extreme, so it's the far north. Here's what's tricky. The word north is the word Zaphon. And the word Zaphon is also the name of a mountain that's not far from Mount Zion. And in Mount Zaphon, they, Canaanite people, believed that the god El abided, dwelt in Mount Zaphon. So now we have to decide as we translate the Bible into English, is he saying that it's Mount Zion in the far north? Or is he saying Mount Zion, the peak, Zaphon? I think it makes more sense if we actually think of this other mountain that is called the mountain of the north. And I think what makes the next verse make more sense because the next verse he says is this is the city of the great king. He's saying, here's Mount Zion, Mount Zaphon the city of the great king. He's making a poetic point here, isn't he? That Mount Zion is where the great king abides, not in Mount Zaphon in the north. And so what he's doing, he's giving some exclusivity to Mount Zion. It is not like Mount Zaphon. It is where the true God abides and dwells. So what are we supposed to do with this psalm as we read it today? As we make so much of Mount Zion, it still is in Israel today. We could go there and stand atop it. What should we think of this mountain today? Well, Let's answer that question with a question. What makes Mount Zion special? Well, it's God makes it special. The presence of God. So another question. Where does God dwell today? Well... We have to go rewind the tape, 2,000 years. Jesus is on the cross dying for our sins, and the temple, inside the temple, what's dividing the rest of the world from the most holy place is a thick curtain, and it rips from the top to the bottom, symbolizing that God is no longer limited there to the most holy place. Now, as you read on in the chapters in your Bible, you see the Holy Spirit descend and fill all of those who have faith. So where does God abide today? Is it all the way over there in Israel, on the top of Mount Zion, or is it in your heart and in my heart? well, it's in us. That's what the New Testament authors tell us. 1 Corinthians six nineteen: Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You are like Mount Zion in that Mount Zion was special because God dwelt there. Now, you are special because you are where God dwells. But it's even more beautiful that because the New Testament writers say, it's not just you and me. It's all of us together are the temple. So he writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 22. So then you are members of the household of God. And now he starts using the temple metaphor. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone in whom the whole structure is joined together. We're growing into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So the beautiful picture that we have is that God no longer dwells in Mount Zion. The dome of the rock is there, a a temple to a false god. You know where God dwells now? He dwells in you, and he dwells in me. And when we all come together, he dwells in us together as his temple, as his Mount Zion, if you will. Now, before we move on to the next verses, I just want to take a moment and talk about the Internet. The Internet. This is important for us to nail down here. I still remember the strange and... Discovery of the Internet. I remember as a teenager sitting in my kitchen at this new computer with my mom. It's late in the evening, and we click the button to go onto the Internet. And then the phone starts to go, beep, boop, beep, 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 boop, boop, boop. And my mom freaks out. She's like, turn it off. You can't call somebody this late at night. It's someone's going to answer. So we ter- desperately tried to unplug the computer before we call someone whatever, at late at night. Um, So I I still don't understand how the Internet works. (laughs) But my limited understanding is that I think it's kind of like the Internet is everywhere, and yet the Internet is is here, and, and the Internet is here. So the Internet in some way like dwells here, and yet also the Internet is everywhere. So if you're tracking with me, Here's something that's really fundamental to our faith. God is everywhere, but God is also here and here. So that's a helpful way to think of this very important fundamental doctrine of our faith. We'll move on in Psalm chapter 48. So Mount Zion is where God dwells next. For behold, the kings assembled and they came on together, and as soon as they saw it... It being Mount Zion. As soon as they saw Mount Zion, they were astounded. They were in panic and they took to flight. Trembling took hold of them there, anguish as a woman in labor. By the east wind you shattered the ships of Tarshish. As we have heard, so we have seen, in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, which God will establish forever. The point we want to see from this chunk of verses is we are secure in Mount Zion. Mount Zion is where God dwells. And so, if you are where God dwells, then you have security. And at some mountaintop moment in the past, some kings gathered up and they were going to overtake Zion. But as soon as they approached and they just saw the city on a hill, God's city, God's holy mountain, as soon as they saw it, they ran. But they couldn't run fast enough because God descended and he destroyed them and he crushed them. And so, we have security if we are in Mount Zion. And yet, in that small picture we just saw, the Dome of the Rock sits atop Mount Zion. So how are we to think of this in the time in which we live today? Well, again, what makes Zion great? God dwells in Mount Zion. Where does God dwell today? He dwells in me. So I am secure. I am secure. That's why Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So however you feel about how Christianity is trending in America today, you have security in the words of Jesus that the gates of hell shall not prevail against his church. You have security. God says repeatedly in scripture, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus said as he ascended up into heaven, I am always with you. Romans chapter 8. I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor anything's present, or things in the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are secure if we are in Mount Zion, and if we are in Mount Zion and God is dwelling in us, and we should have security. Human beings are desperate for security. Security. I could share with you any number of different pieces of research that would show you that a basic core human need is to feel secure. If you want to learn, if you want to be in relationships, if you want to grow in a healthy way, human beings have to feel secure. God knit us together in our mother's womb. He created us in his image with an innate human desire for security. I wonder why he did that. I bet it was because he knew that for the rest of our lives, we would be on a quest to feel secure. And in our quest for security, we might find God. But in our quest to find security, we come across money, and we find that money makes us feel secure. And we come across friends, and we find that our friends make us feel secure. Oh, we find all these things in life that makes us feel secure. We find weapons that make us feel secure. We find all of these defense mechanisms that we built up around ourselves as we go through life and we have a sense of security. But what we'll learn is that our finances will go up and down and our friends will come and go and our emotions will cycle and the most Uh, strongest security systems in the world will be breached, thieves will break in and steal, and we will all die. But if God dwells in you, then he will establish you forever. And all these things in which we can find some level of security foundational to our identity in Christ ought to be a sense of security in Christ, so that as our finances go up and down, we are secure in Christ. As that friend walks out of our life, we are secure in Christ. As our emotions cycle as they do, we are secure in Christ. We find our security in Him. We are secure in Mount Zion. The next section of verses is verses 9 through 11. It says, We have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. As your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. From these verses, we want to see that we focus on God's love and righteousness in Mount Zion. We focus on God's love and righteousness in Mount Zion. He says there, we have fought on your steadfast love in the midst of your temple. So we need to be thinking on God's steadfast love. But it also says that his righteousness is in his right hand and we rejoice because of his judgment. And so our focus should be on God's love and righteousness. Now the psalmist who wrote this could have looked back on the history of Israel and seen so many different examples of how God's love and his righteousness were on display for all to see. But as we look at this today, we're actually going to look back not to the psalmist's time, but 2,000 years ago to when Jesus was present. When Jesus died on the cross for our sins, this is the moment in which love and righteousness were perfectly married together. That's why we're putting communion at this point in our service. We're going to, in just a moment, eat the bread and drink the cup. And remind ourselves that that moment on the cross 2,000 years ago is whenever God's love and his righteous judgment were perfectly intertwined. 2 Corinthians 5 21 says, for our sake he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that you and I might become the righteousness of God in him. What that means and what so many other verses in the Bible mean is that God must, his identity is grounded in the fact that he must be a righteous judge there must be a punishment for sin. There has to be justice. Every human being will agree on that. What we will all disagree on is who defines what justice is, who defines what right and wrong is. And so we have decided that God will decide what is right and wrong, and he has decided that there must be punishment for sin. And so what Jesus did is he came and he took your sin. He became sin so that you could become righteousness. It says in Ephesians chapter two, verses four to five, but God being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. It is because of his great love for us that he sent Jesus to take the, the judgment for our sins. It is love and judgment when we look to the cross. I want to invite Lenny to come at this time. He's going to play, uh, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus." As he plays, the invitation is this. Take this moment. You're welcome to read the lyrics to the song he's playing. But I want you to apply this verse today. I want you to think on the steadfast love of the Lord. I want you to think on it. Think about how much he loves you. Think through what he has done for you. And maybe confess your sins. Not in a way in which you feel um, uh, guilt and shame but confess your sins in the sense that God has forgiven you so that it might build up in your heart gratitude so that you can actually rejoice at the great sacrifice that Jesus gave for you on the cross as he loved you so much to take the judgment for your sins upon himself. Let's take a moment and think on the steadfast love of God. Thank you, Lenny. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus, and we thank you for this rhythm that you've given us, Lord, to regularly remind ourselves of the sacrifice on the cross, your body broken, your blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It says in Mark chapter 14, verses 22 to 24, as they were eating, he, Jesus, took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. Let's partake together. And he took a cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Amen. We have thought on God's love and righteousness. And now we will finish out This chapter together. It closes out this way. Walk about Zion. Go around her. Number her towers. Consider her ramparts. Go through her citadels that you may tell the next generation that this is God, our God forever and ever. He will guide us forever. From that section of verses, I want us to see that we should study Mount Zion so we can tell others. We can study Mount Zion so we can tell others. Now, 3,000 years ago, approximately when this was written, the people of God would have literally applied this. They would have taken their pilgrimage to Jerusalem. They would have approached the city. They would have walked around it. They would have considered its ramparts and citadels and numbered them and considered the faithfulness of God that this mountaintop city, the city of God, represents for them. And from this teaching tool, they would pass on their faith to the next generation. Now, how do we handle this today? The application of a ticket to Israel is a great idea, but not applicable to many of us. So, we need other applications. This week, uh, Stephen Teal started uh, as our interim associate pastor, and uh, Thursday was orientation day. So, He and I walked through the building. I gave him a tour. I know he's been here a few years, but I was like, there's probably a closet or two that you don't know about. Let's walk through the building. And so we walked, and I'm still not sure where the ramparts are um, or the citadels, but I showed him around the building. And with intentionality. We walked through the building and we looked and I said, this is what is here. This is how this came to be. This is what God has done here. What could God do in this space? And we walked through the building with great intentionality. That's one thought. Another thought is this. I, just a few weeks ago, Caroline and I took our kids to Washington, D.C. during spring break. We did a two-day trip to Washington, D.C. I got a 12-year-old, a 10-year-old, and a 5-year-old. And we did this, this, we walked, we observed, we considered, and we passed on the history of our nation to our children. So we said, there's the Jefferson Memorial, there's the Washington Memorial, and here's this museum and that museum. We observed and we talked, and, and now at the World War II Memorial, there we sit and we're trying to explain World War II to our kids, right? Pass it on to the next generation, what we see and observe actually a lot easier to do it at World War II Memorial than it is to do it at the Vietnam Memorial. Those questions are a lot harder to answer. But we're trying to pass it on to the next generation. So we have a way of doing it for our nation. How do we do it for our faith? How do we pass on our faith? How do we look and observe and count and measure and consider all that God has done in our lives so that we can pass it on to the next generation? Maybe this week you should just go on a walk. Maybe you should walk around your neighborhood and you should meditate on and think about God's faithfulness to you. Maybe in creation or maybe just through your life's story, you should consider how God's been faithful to you. You should walk and consider and listen and look. Maybe you should do it with a friend. Maybe you should wake up early one morning and sit with a journal in your hands and you should begin to make a list of all of the citadels and ramparts of your life's faith. All the moments where God showed up and you could hear what he has done for you. You can see it and then you need to share it. You need to tell the next generation. Now I know sometimes we give older folks a hard time because they drone on and on about the good old days. But we secretly really like it whenever you share with us about how God has been faithful to you in the past. I spent a number of hours with Betty Kahn and Sally Treffert. Again, Betty, we're not sure yet if she's 102 or 103. Sally, in her 90s now, is on Death's Door. Again, I was supposed to tell you um, not to visit and call just because Betty is old and, and, and uh, it's just not good for her to receive lots of visits at this time. But those two women have shared with me and passed down the faith to me, their faith. They've passed down the stories of what God has done through this church, decade after decade after decade. That's what we have to do. I think it's what's special about um, the women's book club that Shirley Major leads. There's a women's book club at our church. They pick a book a month, and then they meet, and they read it and discuss it. And the, the niche that they have is Christian biographies books that people have written so that we could see how God was faithful to them, so we can see how he'll be faithful to us. We speak up maybe, speak up more about what God has done. Maybe in Sunday school or in a life group or maybe at your workplace or with your family. Because here's what happens. If you don't speak up, then others speak up. And you know what I hear a lot of? I hear a tremendous amount of negativity, a tremendous amount of fear. We're now we're afraid that the robots are going to take over the world, artificial intelligence. We have fears about the economy, and we have fears about the elections, and we have fears about the crime, and there's just so much like negativity out there as people speak up in the world, isn't there? But what if we could leave here today, and as we go out there, we could speak up about how God has been faithful, and about how God is faithful, and about how He will be faithful about how he's been good, and he keeps his promises, and we have a sense of security. No matter what's happening with the economy, I have security and confidence in my faith. If we could go out there and speak up that way this week, we might just make a difference in someone's life. But that's what we're called to do. Walk about, number, consider, and then share it. This is God. He will guide us forever. That's the closing line of the psalm. It's the last thing we'll consider, he will guide us forever. I want God's guidance. How does God guide me, right? I consider that a lot. If I glance back through the Psalm, he guides me through my ears and my eyes and my mind and my voice and my feet. He says, I've heard and seen and thought and rejoice and walk and consider and tell. And as I consider this, I think, wow, God guides us through this like embodied life experience. God's guidance shows up through things that we see and hear and where we walk. It's very much an embodied experience. So that as I think about Monday on that mountaintop, that was how God is guiding me. God is guiding me from all that I can see and hear and the wind that's in my face and the feeling I get in my soul as I look out from a mountaintop. See, that, all of that is embodied into us as God dwells within us. As we were walking to the top to have a view at Cooper's Rock, I've told a lot of people about this because that's what you do. When you have a meaningful experience, you share it with other people, don't you? You pass it on. So we're headed up to this view and we hear first and then we see, second, a rattlesnake in the path. Henry was in the front, my 10 year old. And there he hears a rattlesnake and then he sees a rattlesnake. And then the fear sets in and then Caroline jumps into mother bear mode and she grabs a rock. And I jump into like documentary mode and I start filming. (laughs) And then uh, our kids jump into like national geographic mode and they start telling us what we should and shouldn't do. And then we mainly do what we shouldn't do. And Caroline throws the rock and then the snake coils, and then we start freaking out. It's coiling! <laughs> and then, you know, the tears started crying. Um, and so that, we have that experience. We tell the hikers behind us, and we move on down the trail and we start talking cuz we want to be good parents. We want to pass on our faith as we walk down the road as it says in scripture. And so we're quick to say like that's that's the kind of, those are the type of moments whenever God makes us brave. He gives us strength. And so sometimes when we're afraid, God can help us be brave and we're passing that on. And then my son, who I think is probably braver than most of us in the room in this way, decides to be just honest and say uh, God didn't make me brave. There was no bravery five minutes ago. Like, I was afraid. I was afraid. So I'm like, how do I parent here? Like, so I'm like, well, you could have been more afraid. You could have peed your pants. You didn't pee your pants. So let's thank God for that. I'm like scrambling to try and deal with someone who's brave enough to actually speak The true reality of being a Christian, I didn't feel anything. I wasn't brave. I was full of fear. As I've considered that over time, and it's baseball season, I think about how the fact that the greatest hitters of all time bat like 300 or 400. That means they fail more times than they succeed. So I'm thinking about how God guides us, and he guides us through things that we see and things that we hear and things in the places that we go. And oftentimes on this week that lies before us as he's guiding us, more times we're going to fail than we succeed, and God knows that. And that's what we do in this Christian life as we walk down this path together. And you know, the first time we are most certainly full of fear, and maybe the second and third time, but you know what? If we're batting like 300 or 400, I think God, our coach up in heaven, is well-pleased. As we continue to walk in faith in a community together, we might fail this week, but he's guiding us. He guided me into the path of a rattlesnake? He certainly did, didn't he? So that we would walk together, so that we would listen and hear and see and talk about and tell of the faithfulness of God, even when we fail. He guides us forever. He dwells in Mount Zion. He dwells in you. This is your identity. God dwells in you. That's who you are. You are like Mount Zion. You are a temple of the living God. And you have security in that. Rest in that security. And then focus on God's love and righteousness. Focus on God's love and righteousness in the month of June, particularly in America. In the month of June, we must focus on his love and righteousness. In the month of June, you're going to see a lot of people who focus on God's love and not his righteousness. And then you're going to look around in the month of June, and you're going to see people that focus on God's righteousness and not his love. And what we are called to do as the people of God is to focus on his love and righteousness. As most beautifully illustrated for us jesus loving us on the cross we also need to study mount zion so we can tell others we need to consider our faith we need to look for examples of god's faithfulness so that we can share them let's pray our heavenly father we thank you for this psalm we thank you for this illustration of mount zion lord may we have that kind of identity lord would you increase our security and our confidence in you? And Lord, as we go from here, I guess, I guess we could say there are rattlesnakes in our path as we go. So Lord, we know that we're not going to bat a thousand this week. We confess that. But we also confess, Lord, our dependence upon you. And though you may not show up how we want you to, though we might often be disappointed at what we did not feel, We continue to look to you for our guidance. We continue to trust in you, receiving your forgiveness, receiving your strength when we feel it and even when we don't. So we thank you, Lord. We pray that you would go with us and fill us with your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for worshiping with us today. Our benediction as we go, right from Psalm 48, rise and outflow of this song. This is God, our God, forever and ever. He will guide us forever. Amen.